take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we are blessed once again to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're looking at this great message that Jesus preached on the shores of Galilee. And I, I really wanted to deal with this message today. Uh, you never know when we have visitors, uh, when we have people who may not be saved. And I want to talk to you today about the right way to heaven, actually. Directions to heaven. So if you'd stand with me, please, as we look at God's Word. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate... For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and help us to understand your word. And, Lord, may we very clearly... See a difference between the right way and the wrong way to go. And Lord, I pray that people today will be on the right path, going the right way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I like to read good sermons. Much of the commentary that I have in my office, many of the books, are really just collections of sermons that preachers have preached as they stood faithfully in their pulpits year after year proclaiming the Word of God. One of my favorite preachers is the Puritan John Flavel, who lived about, oh, 500, 400, 500 years ago. And one of my favorite books is The Method of Grace, which is a collection of his sermons on the power of the Holy Spirit in salvation. John Flavel preached at a time when, uh, in England, at a time when there were uh, preachers that were being removed from their pulpits for the things that they were preaching, for the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But John Flavel very faithfully stood for uh, the truth of God's Word and preached his sermons week after week. And as I said, collections that I have of his sermons are from his labors of doing that as he preached the Word of God. I love a good sermon, and I believe a good sermon is always going to point us to Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul said, what else do we have to preach? He said, if I preach not the gospel, woe is me. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is where many people go off track with the Sermon on the Mount. It was preached by the one who is actually the living gospel. And yet there are many people who read the Sermon on the Mount and they say there is no gospel in it. And they say, here we have some sayings of Jesus that are really about the law. It's, a, it's for a different time. It's either for the past or it's for some way way off into the future when we get into the millennial kingdom. And there really is no gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, I hope after a year of explaining this as we've gone through it, that you haven't come to that conclusion, that, that you're saying there is no gospel here. Now, perhaps you may think that, well, I really haven't been evangelistic enough as I preach this, and maybe we need to lay this aside, and we need to every night or every day talk about Christ's death and exhort and encourage sinners to come to Christ. I think we've already done that. Uh, week after week, I've pointed out the contrast between false ways that people believe that they can go to heaven. And we've tried to do away with uh, the false teachings and teach people the right way. And if you've been listening very carefully to the messages, I don't think that you could have missed. That's where we've been going with this. But if you have missed it, then today's the sermon for you. 
because we're going to very clearly talk about directions to heaven, the way that you need to go. Verse number 12 of Matthew 7 was actually the final point of Jesus' message. Now, everything that he said up to that point was moving people in the direction of truth. And it was to obliterate the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees and to straighten out the thinking of the people as they thought that the way to get to heaven is to do some good thing. I can be righteous by my own actions. And Jesus showed them throughout this sermon that the only hope of salvation that anyone has is the righteousness that only God can give, and it comes through Jesus Christ. The golden rule that we studied last week in verse number 12, that is the last major statement of that truth, actually, that the only way that we can be saved is Christ, because there's no one who could actually keep the golden rule except Jesus Christ himself. Keep it perfectly. Now, the golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it's impossible for us to keep that command without him. We're always going to fall short of it. Uh, Every time we fall short of what God demands, and we don't do it once, we don't do it twice, we don't do it some days and not others, it's not inconsistently, but every single day of our lives, we fail to keep that commandment. And Jesus keeps hammering this over and over again. You have to get this. He is the only way that anyone is going to heaven. And you can't keep then the golden rule or any other rule without Christ. Well, now Jesus comes then to the final part of this sermon. And he says, well, I've given you the principles of my kingdom. This is what I have established. Here are the demands for my kingdom. And now, what are you going to do? You you can't just listen to it. Now is the time for action. What are you going to do with all that has been said? And so he comes to this statement in verse number 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. That is not what most people believe. Jesus said that there is a path that leads to destruction. There is a direction that you can take that is not the right direction. And if you continue in that direction, then you'll plunge into the fires of hell. Well, maybe somebody here doesn't believe in hell, and I wouldn't be too surprised at that, because rejecting hell is one of the markers that you're on the broad path that you're going the wrong way, in the wrong direction. And quite frankly, folks, most people are walking that way. So today we're going to look at the exhortation that Christ gives to go in the right direction, to go in the way that leads to life. I want you to notice, first of all today, the entrance. First of all, you have to enter. There is a gate that you have to go through, and you can't get on the path that leads to life unless you first go through this gate. When you come to the gate... There are things that have taken place that enable that gate to open up for you so you can pass through it. Now, I want to be very simple with you today, make it very simple so you don't have to wonder what I'm talking about. The gate that I'm speaking of is Jesus Christ himself. Now, there are various scriptures that state this truth, but none of them them states it as plainly as when Jesus said, I am the door. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And so to get on the path, he's the door. He's the gate that you have to go through. 
Well, there are lots of people that say, well, there are many paths to God. There are a variety of gates that you can choose, and when you pass through them, all of them end up at the same place. And so you choose the one that's most appealing to you, and you head out on your spiritual journey, and there may be many twists and turns as you go along that journey, but in the end, you're going to go exactly where you expected or intended to go. And Jesus says, oh no, there, there are only two gates. There's one that leads to life, and there's one that leads to destruction. Now, the one that leads to destruction is also a singular gate. And when you go through that gate, well, really everybody's already on the gate, or through that gate, it is a superhighway. There are lots of lanes that are on it, and they're all headed to the same place. And the end is destruction. The only gate to life is through Jesus Christ. Well, how do I pass through that gate? Well, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and I think you would have to believe that everything that Jesus says in this sermon is true. You're helpless without him. You've fallen short in every area of your life. You've violated God's holy laws, and Jesus repeatedly emphasizes that throughout the sermon. And so what you have to do, realizing this, you must come to him with repentance. That's the recognition that you have sinned. And Peter preached the great sermon on the day of Pentecost, he explained to the people the great sin of rejecting Christ. They had crucified the one that God sent to be the deliverer of man's soul. And then after he was crucified, God raised him from the dead, and that was actually God's stamp of approval upon Jesus that he is the way. That's why God raised him from the dead. And that proved that he's the only door by which you can enter. Well, Scripture says that they were pricked in their hearts when they heard this, and they said, what shall we do? They were convicted. What shall we do? And Peter came back with the answer, what you must do is you must repent. When John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, his message was, you must repent. When Jesus was baptized and began his public ministry, the very first command that he gave in his very first sermon was, you have to repent. And so the apostles preached that over and over throughout their messages. They were always telling people, you must repent of your sins. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said that you and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. Not one sin may you keep. They must all be given up. They must be brought out like the Canaanite kings from the cave and be hanged up in the sun. Now, repentance means that you turn from your sin, you acknowledge that you have sin, and you turn away from them. And then at the same time that you repent, there's also faith. Faith is to believe that Jesus is the only way, that he is the only gate. There aren't a thousand different ways that you'll get to heaven. There's only one way, and Jesus was sacrificed for our sins. He gave himself for your sins, and if you trust him alone and you forget yourself, and you forget about trying to get into heaven some other way, you focus on him alone, then you have the faith that God requires. Now there's a third element of this, and that is the word surrender. You have to surrender yourself to him. Now I know there's some people who say, well, well, pastor, what you're doing, you're adding to the requirements. You shouldn't preach any other thing but faith. And so they... Some of them will say that repentance and faith are actually the same thing. And they turn, change it around to make repentance synonymous with faith. And they say there is no element of surrender in this. It may or may not come later. And thus you really don't have to surrender to Jesus as the Lord of your life. I'm not adding anything here. I'm simply telling you that if you have not counted the cost, 
And you're unwilling that Christ should be everything to you. And you're unwilling that he should become your Lord and Master. Then your faith is not really a genuine faith. Real faith always involves surrender. Real faith always has with it a determination that you will follow God. So that's what's involved in entering in. Jesus said you have to enter. And that implies that the people that he was talking to were on the outside. They were on the broad path. They hadn't entered this gate. And so what Jesus is saying here is don't pass up this gate. As you're going down this highway to hell, don't miss the exit that says eternal life by repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ and surrendering all to him. So I wanted to get that out of the way first. I mean, that's the very basic exhortation that's found in these scriptures. You can't just listen to what's said. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is more. You can't just listen to what the Sermon on the Mount says or read it or listen to my preaching. You have to enter. Now, the Holy Spirit moves. He convicts. He calls all who will enter. And when you know that you have entered in or you make that move towards God, that he has moved you actually in your heart to repent of your sins. He's moved you from unbelief to believe. He's moved you from a life of doing things for self to a life of living for him. Now, I'd like you to notice, secondly today, the excuses. I'm going to assume that most of you are here today because you haven't totally rejected the idea that there is a heaven and there is a hell And I'm going to assume that you believe that there are some who are deserving of eternal punishment and there are some who will escape eternal punishment. Now, I hope that most of you, if not all of you here today, are saved. But I really don't want anyone to sit back in their smugness and say, well, I've heard all this before. I'm a saved person, so I don't really need to listen to this sermon, so I'm going to tune it out and uh, I'll just uh, let it go on and not really pay attention to what's being said. You know, over the next few weeks, as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount, there may actually be some people that will change their minds when they really understand what Christ demands. Now, this is not what you hear with easy evangelism. I mean, there there are people who think that there are no costs involved in this. And this is very simple. It's a very easy matter. All that you need to do is just walk down this aisle, sign somebody's card, and then your destination is heaven. All that's automatic. You know, I wonder why the Apostle Paul said this in his teaching to people that said they were Christians. He said, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Now, there must have been some that said that they were Christians, but their lives really didn't show that. And so, Paul said, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. The Christian life demands a change. What are the excuses that people make? Well, one of them is, I have a religion. I've already got a religion. I mean, have you ever been out knocking on doors and and inviting people to church and you're greeted smilingly and approvingly by someone who says, oh, thank you so much for coming, but I already have a religion. Did you know that every person that Jesus was speaking to by the shores of the Sea of Galilee when he preached this message, they already had a religion? They were all religious people. But what religion does, folks, is... Religion by itself always invents a God that fits their system. The Bible says that we have been created in the image of God. But mere religion reverses that and makes God in our image. So that God acts only the way that we think that God should act. And that's why preachers stop preaching about hell. That's why they no longer preach about God's wrath. It's because their God does not have any wrath. 
Their God does not have a hell. And so they've just made God into what they want him to be. You know, the Apostle Paul, also in his teachings in the book of Romans chapter 1, shows us that there are only two paths. He said that there's a right way, and the right way is through the gospel. He said that's the power of God unto salvation. And he said there is a wrong way in which people worship the creature rather than the creator. And the worship of the creature is when you pursue a course that lets you go on in your sin, and you can do anything that you want to do. There are no demands that are actually higher than you can personally attain. That religion is a religion of self. It's the God of self. It's the one that puts ritual in the place of righteousness. Ritual is what we do for God. Righteousness is what God does for us. Now, it comes in many different forms. Uh, Remember, we're talking about the broad way. It's a super highway that everybody's on. And so there are billions of people that have their way to get to heaven. They have their list of sacraments that they keep. There are works of penance that they try to do. There are some who have their situation ethics and they have their ever-changing truths. Some people have their quest to keep the earth in balance. For some, it's nirvana, being one with the universe. And others, it's a jihad with 40 virgins that are promised at the end. That's their path. And so they already have their way. They have their religion. So they don't want to be bothered by the narrow way that we're trying to preach. So they don't actually care if there are a thousand ways to get to heaven. It doesn't matter to them. Just so long as they have their religion and your religion doesn't put a speed bump in their way. That's one part of it. That's one of the excuses. Another one is, I am moral. You know, this is the one that says, well, I haven't done anything really bad. And if I've done something really bad, then I'll make up for it for doing something really good. This is the one that has the lane that says, oh, I'll be courteous to other drivers. But if I do cut somebody off, I'll let the next one get in. And so what we're talking here is the lane of comparative analysis. I'm not as bad as other people. Arthur Pink states it this way. He says, They know their characters are not white, yet would not allow for a moment they were black. So persuade themselves they are a shade midway between. They may not be good enough for heaven, but they're quite sure they're not bad enough for hell. So these are people that do have some sensitivity, and they think that they have to be good moral people. At least they think this. I mean, I've got to be a pretty good person to get to heaven. And what they mean by that is I've got to stay ahead of the other guy. I've got to be a little bit better than him and then I'll be all right. Both of those excuses are part of the broad way. They're religious and they are moral. But if you take five seconds to look over what was written previously, verses 13 and 14, you know what you find? You find scribes and Pharisees. This was their religion. People were sitting on the grass and listening to Jesus, and they were looking out the corner of their eye at the person that was sitting next to them. And the person sitting next to them was actually their standard. That's who they looked to. I have to be a little bit better than him. In this case, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. That was the standard. So if I can just live up to the way they live, then I'll be okay. And so they had their excuse then to stay on the broad way. Now, the third thing that we want to look at is the excesses. The excesses of what Jesus is speaking of here. He says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Who can enter the broad gate? Everybody. Everybody's included. The wide gate is very appealing. 
With the wide gate, you'll always find diversity. There's diversity at the wide gate. There's no one standing there checking you out and saying, no, you can't come this way. We're very particular who comes through our gate. Not this one. There aren't any passports to show. There's no proof of anything. Race, color, creed, it doesn't matter. Now, I'm thankful for this, that on the narrow way and through that narrow gate, the race and the color don't matter. That's unimportant. Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. God doesn't show any favoritism based upon what color you are, what race you are. But the third one is not common to both paths. Creed is different. Race and color doesn't matter, but on the broad path, neither does creed. And so that means that you can bring any doctrine that you want. It's diversity. I mean, this is diverse enough that you can believe that you can be reincarnated as a bug. Or you can be Christian enough to sprinkle little babies and wash away their sins. You can wear a burqa, or you can wear the vestments of the Pope. You can wear a turban, or you can wear a skull cap. It doesn't matter, because the mantra is, we're all going to the same place anyway. And... They're right. Jesus agrees with that. You are going to the same place. They're all in the same place, and it's a way of destruction. There's diversity on the broad path. No belief is any better or any worse than any other belief. The second excess that we find on this broad path is indulgence. On the broad path, everybody waves and says, Come on over. Come through our gate. Bring all of it with you. Everything that you want. It's okay in our way. And so... It's a path of tolerance. Bring your sins, bring your immorality. Men sleep with men, women sleep with women. That's okay, bring your goat if you want to. Self-indulgence. It's never a problem with them. Anything goes because we're tolerant. Our gate is wide enough for everybody. You know, one of the things that, uh, one of the favorite things that I have to do is put the top down on my Miata and head out to Highway 1 on the coast and I, uh, I, I run through those gears on that car and squeal my tires going around the corners and all of that stuff and my wavy hair waving in the breeze. And as I'm driving around all of those curves, you know, sometimes the only thing between me and a 500-foot drop to the ocean is a thin guardrail. And if you miss that guardrail, your wavy hair waves goodbye. But you know, in the broad path, there aren't any edges. You can go as far as you want to go, and there's still room to go. You know something? Everybody loves that open road. Now, there's lots of people on it, and sometimes it's crowded, or it's crowded with people, but there's always room for one more. On this road, you're never going to go off the edge because there are no edges. Sin to excess? What do you mean by that? What does that mean? There are no moral restraints of any kind on this road. The wide gate and the broad way admits everything that people want to do. But on the other hand... The way that Jesus speaks of is different. So forthly, we speak about the exclusions. The exclusions of Jesus' way. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There are three words that define the exclusion of the right way. The first word is difficult. The word straight in our authorized version is an interesting word, and some people are confused about what it means. And you'll often hear people say, well, if you're going to go to heaven, you have to walk the straight and narrow. And they mean, well, you, you, you can't walk crookedly. You've got to do everything just right. You've got to keep on the straight path. But the word here 
And also they say this, directions to heaven, if you heard this, turn right and go straight. And they take that from this passage of Scripture. But look at the word. The word is S-T-R-A-I-T. It's not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. These are two words and two different meanings. This word that Jesus uses actually means difficult. It means restricted. It means hard to pass through. Now, it's not the same thing that you hear in evangelism today. I mean, the method of evangelism today says it's easy getting saved. It's like falling off a log. I mean, what's been popularized by the revivalists and the tent meetings of the past 150 years is that you can practically get saved by accident. And so you have people going door to door and people giving up their, or giving their invitations. Raise your hand, walk the aisle. One, two, three, you're done, you're on your way to heaven. That's not what Jesus says. He says the way is difficult. Look back in chapter 5 for just a minute. You see here who gets into the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse number 3. Chapter 5, verse number 3. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you think back when we looked at that verse? Who are the poor in spirit? You know what Jesus means by this? He means those who agonize over their sin. They're poor in their spirit. They're beggarly poor because they have no righteousness. They have nothing at all to offer God. They have been completely broken down by their sin. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's telling us that brokenness, brokenness over sin leads to mourning. Now, the evangelists like to make it easy, and they want to leave out the demands of Christ. Their invitation is, skate on down. Jesus says differently. Listen to what he says in Luke 13, 24. He said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, but, and shall not be able. Strive is the very same word, our English word, for agonize. That's the underlying word. It means to agonize. Jesus never said it's an easy way. And when you look at the broad way and all of its enticements, this is when you say, I'm not going to travel that way any longer. No matter how many are on that way, I am not going. And then it's also to understand that the Christian life is one of difficulty. There's suffering that's involved. Jesus went as far as to say that your family and your friends will forsake you because of this. And he said also, you have to forsake them. You have to leave all to follow him. It's never easy to deny yourself. It's not easy to take up your cross and follow Christ. But anything less, according to Scripture, is not saving faith. You have to leave all the sin and the hindrances behind. And if your confession of faith has not actually changed your life, then you're still on the broad path. Now, the picture that we have in Scripture, I mean, what what Jesus is trying to get across here is like a person who who tries to go through the gate with all of his baggage hanging on him. And so he has a bag that's slung over his shoulder. He has a suitcase in each hand. He has a backpack on his back. And he comes up to that gate and he can't get through it. He's trying to bring too many things with him. He's trying to bring all that sin and all that baggage with him. And when he gets there, he finds out there is no way he can squeeze through. You can't go through with all of that and get through the gate. You know, it reminds me of going to the airport. and You go through that security screen. When you go through the security screen, you don't go with your coat on even. You take that off. Your purses, lay them aside, ladies. You even have to take your shoes off to get through there. 
I've even heard that some cases they strip people down before they can go through the security gate. Check them out. And that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's saying you have to come to him naked and destitute with no baggage of any kind. All of it you have to be willing to lay aside before you can go through his gate. Now I'm going to add something to this because I don't want you to be confused about it. I'm not speaking of your effort. This is not what you give up. What you give up is not going to get you to heaven. You know why? Because you never have the sense to do it anyway. I mean, you wouldn't have the sense to lay aside everything so I can go to heaven. Nobody does. This only happens when the Holy Spirit has started working in a person's heart and has stripped all their defenses away. The Holy Spirit has broken you down. And if you still feel resistant to it, and you still want to hang on to the sin, and you still want to bring it through, then the Holy Spirit has never worked in your heart. This is what he do. He strips you of it. So you don't want to bring it through. Now, the second word of exclusion is the word few. Few there be that find it. Now, the Broadway has a crowd. They, they all storm the gate at the same time. They rush in in droves. There's this huge cattle call. And the wide gate is wide enough to accommodate everybody. Everybody comes in together. And you know there are churches like that? They teach essentially the same thing. Mama was a Christian. Grandpa was a Christian. So that's good enough for me. I'm going too. And they even say it about nations. Do you know that they call America a Christian nation? As if God has opened up the gate and said, let's all go in together. But not at this gate. Jesus said, few there be that find it. In fact, this gate is so narrow that you come by yourself. You pass through it alone. It goes one at a time. Now, thank God if your family is saved. Praise the Lord for that. But you have to go through the gate yourself. This is personalized, individual repentance and faith. There are no piggyback rides to get through this gate. And you know that fits perfectly what much of Jesus says. You go down to verse number 21. He says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And then there's a third word of exclusivity that we find here, and it's the word, it is the word find. Few there be that find it. And so that means that the gate has to be sought for. And so if you are indifferent, you'll stay on the broad path. You see, the narrow path is not something that you stumble upon. I truly believe this, that you were brought here today for a purpose. You, you may be in this congregation today... And God has brought you here for a purpose. And if you see little purpose in it, I mean, if it doesn't mean anything, the message doesn't mean anything, then you won't seek and therefore you don't find. The straight gate and the narrow way are exclusive gates. It is exclusive gate, rather. All other ways are ruled out. Now, friends, if there were 25 different ways that you could get to heaven, I promise you I'd stand up here and I'd give you 25 different options. I'd sit down with you and I would carefully plan with you the way that you want to go. I mean, I'd I'd fit it in with whatever you like, with your lifestyle. You know, like buying insurance from 25 different companies. We have a plan that fits you. And if that's the way it was, I'd sit down and help you find it. But I don't have those options. The Scriptures don't give those options. Jesus has excluded it to one way and one way only. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Peter said in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Well, that takes us all the way from the first, which is the entrance, to the very last, which is the ending. There are two ways to end up. Each way has a final destination. 
But there's a very interesting characteristic of the ending of the Broadway. Uh, Both of these ways have signs along the way, but the signs on the Broadway are deceptive road signs. There are many signs on the Broadway, and there's a sign that says tolerance. Talked about that. There's that sign that says indulgence. A sign that says sex. That's okay. And how many of you ever heard of this one and, and seen this sign? Good intentions? Do you ever hear... The path to hell is paid with good intentions. That sign's also there. But you know there's one sign that you're never going to see on the Broadway? One sign that you'll never see. You'll never see a sign that says hell. You'll never see a sign on the Broadway that says hell. Now it says heaven 100 miles. You go a little bit further in your life, heaven 50 miles. Getting close to the end, heaven, 25 miles. And you travel that road all of your life and not one time on the Broadway will you ever pass a sign that says, this is the way to hell. And that's because Satan never marks his path as the way to hell. He always says, this is the way to heaven. Go all the way back to the very beginning and Satan tacked the sign on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that said, this way to heaven. And Adam and Eve believed it and that's why we're in all this trouble right now. And people all along have been believing what the devil has to say. They put up, he puts up the signs and they go his way. But the ending of the broad path is not heaven, it's destruction. It is hell and it's always hell. And there's not one person in all the history of the world who ever made it to heaven on the superhighway that has these dozens of lanes. Now I already said that there are some people that don't believe in hell. And if Satan threw up a hundred signs that said... You're getting warmer. And you go a little bit further in life, whoa, you're really getting warm now. And they come down close to the end and they said, well, it's getting, these signs are saying, it's hot here. They still don't believe in hell. And so they plunge right on in. And that end is always destruction. But on the other hand, the narrow way has signs that lead to life. Narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Now, the narrow way is also marked heaven. And the gate that you pass through, we said, is Jesus. And when you get on this path, you're going to pass some signs. Some of them will say, rough road ahead. There's some that say, no detours. And there's one that says, slow, devil's crossing. But there's also a sign on the right way that says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. There are signs on the right way that say, I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. There are signs that God has put on this way where he says, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. There's one that says, I'm an anchor, sure and steadfast for your soul. And there's one all the way at the end that says, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so there are two gates, there are two paths, two travelers, and two destinations. And what we have here is an invitation from Jesus for us to enter the right gate, to get on the right path, to be the right traveler going to the right destination. And what Jesus says here in the sermon is, what are you going to do about all this? Which way are you going to go? Life or destruction? You see, the directions to heaven are not turn right and go straight. The directions are, find the narrow gate. 
And no matter how many are going another way, no matter how easy the other way might seem to be, find the narrow gate. And you find it by repenting of your sins and trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, and your King. Those are the directions to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we read in your word today. The message is not difficult that Jesus gave. The message is simple, but the way there is difficult because it means that we're going to have to give it all up. We're going to have to surrender. And it's not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, I pray that you'd open someone's eyes today and they would see that they need to follow Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, have faith in him, surrender their lives to him. And Lord, I pray for some person here today who says, well, I'm a Christian. And yet, they have the sense that, no, that something's wrong here. I just pray, Lord, that you would show them that that evidence has to be there. True faith is one that always follows Jesus Christ. So, Lord, speak to hearts today. We thank you for what we've learned from this scripture. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's please stand.